The text that you are about to hear is by Charles Olavois. To find out more about this Canadian author and his previous books, visit www.charlesolevois.com. This episode is from Goodbye Philippines, a collection of short stories. The book are a fictional construction of exchanges between the author and people living in the Philippines, overseas workers, and Filipino expats. Goodbye Philippines, a podcast collection of short stories by Charles O. Levois. Through Facebook conversations, George, the narrator of Goodbye Philippines, gets glimpses of Filipino lives in the Philippines and among expatriates and overseas foreign workers. As he discovers the sufferings of the younger generation, he is often reminded of the disparity between the deprivations and emotional angst of his youth. On one trip to the Philippines, he is hospitalized in delirium and dependent on local care until he is well enough to fly home. On his return, he shuts everyone out, including Lando, the youth in the Philippines whose college education he paid for. After a long silence, his protege reaches out and the two briefly reunite online. The bond between them is poignant and Lando's longing for a father's substitute is palpable. Will George choose to pull away? Read by Warren Carey and music by Angelico Dayo, executive producer Charles O. Lavoie. Chapter 6 Saturn's Children Going with the flow was never easy for George, but, funny or strangely, this would be like his second nature when traveling in the Philippines, and what he was usually reticent to do in Canada i.e., let others run his life, would be fun under a different climate. That year, during all his long stay in the province of Iloilo, Joel Palma, the official event manager for the town of Igbaras, controlled George's life, both emotional and social. This is how George ended up returning to San Joaquin, a fishing town where Joel's sister lived. They left Igbatis on a Sunday at around 6 o'clock in the morning. First, they crossed the town on a tricycle. Then a jeepney took them to a crossing with a faded sign. You are leaving Igbatis. There was a waiting station along the road. They waited. A bus finally showed up. They got on it. All the way, from the tricycle to the bus, Joel rested his head on George's shoulder. The night before, he had worked at the municipal hall printing tickets for the disco evening that was part of the annual fiesta. Between sleeping on the floor and getting up to feed the printer, a barangay counselor was there too, helping. When the two visitors showed up at the house, Geraldine, a woman in her forties and the eldest in the Palmas family, gave George a warm hug. She immediately asked her guest, before lunch, would you like to go to the beach, George? Sure. I hope you don't mind, Joel announced, rushing to lie down on a couch. A few seconds later, while they were walking, Geraldine asked, Do you like San Joaquin? I do, George replied with a smile. Thanks for inviting me. You're welcome. A bunch of kids were laughing in front of a Sari Sari store under the eyes of the owner, 
whose face could be seen through the window. The woman was smiling. My husband's sister, Geraldine remarked. George waved at the friendly owner of the store, who waved back. When they reached the water, George asked, Do you miss Igbatus? There is water here. I can walk on the beach with my children. I can talk with my neighbors. Geraldine responded, looking quite content, George thought. Then, her facial expression totally changed. She added, There is no breathing air in Igbatus. Only a violent sun that kills everything. Seriously, George. Turning her head toward her guest, she asked, Do you believe in fate? She didn't wait for a reply. In my parents' house, the only topics are poverty and misery. She told George's story two years earlier, just when she believed that they, that is, she, her husband, and her children, might have a future in San Joaquin, her brother Gilbert had a motorcycle accident. Broken ribs, broken leg, you should have seen him, she said with a distraught tone of voice. Because in the Palma family, no one else could, she came to the rescue. I am now reimbursing my husband's sister thousands of pesos every month, Geraldine confided. All the money they'd saved to renovate their house was gone. Then she filled her guest on details of Joel's busy life as a barangay counselor, traveling from place to place in search of candidates and sponsors for beauty pageants for girls, basketball players, even grandmothers. For each piece of work or project, he receives an honorarium. He doesn't help, Geraldine concluded with a sigh. George remained silent. The forty-ish old suddenly switched to another topic, and with a smile, she recalled everything that George did the first time Joel brought him to San Joaquin and the people he had met then. You talked with Concepcion? Who is Concepcion? Geraldine looked puzzled. She said, Don't you remember? My husband's cousin. She lives in the compound. I am not good with names, George said with a smile. One instant later, hoping that his hostess would excuse his apparent insensibility, he interjected with a sense of relief and childish excitement. Now I remember she was carrying two big plastic pails with water dripping. Visibly satisfied with George's recollection, his hostess asked, Are you hungry? While they were walking back to her house, Geraldine shared with George how she and her husband Ray had met. As soon as he found work, he had proposed to her. Her father was against the marriage. As the oldest child, she was expected to help her younger siblings as soon as she got a job. They ate outside. The lunch consisted of fresh fish cooked on charcoal, vegetable salad with vinegary dressing, and rice deposited on shiny banana leaves spread lengthwise over the table. Like everyone else at the table, George ate with his hands. Geraldine quickly went into the house and came back with a bowl of water that she placed in front of her guest. So that the hands do not get sticky, she explained. The water helps. We call it a boodle fight. Sitting next to George, Joel showed how to form a small ball with his hands. The children all looked, giggling. I will write it down in your notebook later, he added. Thank you, George said. For his hostess's benefit, he added, for my book, you see. Two days after the trip to the fishing port of San Joaquin, George flew back home 
missing the town fiesta. Before leaving, he assured everyone that he would plan his next year trip accordingly. Several weeks after his return, George received a message from Joel Palma. After calling him dad, the barangay counselor asked for an allowance. I am not your dad, George interjected, both amused and displeased. Sorry. What do you mean by allowance? To buy rice, Joel explained. We are planting rice. For a few seconds, George pictured his fashion-obsessed escort of six months ago, covered from head to toe against the burning sun, poking rice seeds into the soil in a paddy field. You and your father are planting rice together? he asked, ironically. My brother Gilbert. The one who broke his leg? George asked. You remember him? Nice, Joel replied. Then returning to the matter under discussion, he asked, Can you help? George waited. The dots under Joel's name were going up and down. Alone. Sorry, I I am not rich. Okay. Several weeks later, one day, George noticed that Joel's sister Geraldine was online. He messaged her. How are you? How are you, sir? The woman from San Joaquin replied. I am fine. Please call me George. The two Facebook friends reported on how things were going on either side. Geraldine's husband was fine. The children were fine, too. How is your little daughter? She had an eye problem the day of my visit. We went to a doctor. She is okay now, Geraldine said. Thanks for asking. While he was going to say goodbye and take care, George asked, How is Joel? I haven't heard from Joel for a while. My brother doesn't have a job. As a municipal councillor, doesn't he get money? Not enough money, Geraldine replied. She was still typing. George waited. I married too young, my father thinks. He keeps asking for money. The comment took George by surprise. Having no idea of what to say to that, he remained silent. My parents are poor. I am married with three children. You saw them, Mr. George. The woman was upset, George thought. She wanted to confide to a living soul currently 10,541 kilometers away. You have three beautiful children. George knew that the mother would be pleased to hear that. The nicety being sent, he added, it has always existed. Parents feeding off their children. What do you mean, sir? Devouring them. In Canada? Geraldine asked. I once heard my grandmother say, Your children are there to serve you. Geraldine replied with a, Hehe. George quickly did an internet search, using the keywords of Saturn and Goya. Once he found a photo of the painting by the Spanish artist showing the mythological Saturn holding a bleeding child close to his mouth, he downloaded it. He was about to share it on his timeline with, as a comment, the question, Are humans bloodsuckers? Geraldine was not online anymore. He deleted everything. All pumped up and slightly frustrated, he scrolled down the screen, hoping for someone to chat with. Gina Estrera was online. He beeped her. What are you doing? Gina typed back. Money transfer. Hey, hey. Where are you? George typed. 
Eastern Union, Gina explained. My mother has a cataract surgery. Are you going home? Nope, Gina replied. She was still typing. George waited. I am the only one who can help. You have a brother working on a cruise ship, right? George ventured. He has a family, Gina replied. The woman had been living in a so-called liberal country for almost 20 years and was still paying the price of the male-dominated culture she grew up with. On her days off, she scavenges yard sales and thrift stores for clothes and cookware that she ships home in a Balak buy-in box. Don't you have a family? George felt tempted to ask. He chose to remain silent. He suddenly remembered what Gina had told him about his brother, the seaman, one day, while they were having lunch at the Bayanahan Community Center. Even before graduation from a cruise ship management program, her baby brother had already impregnated his girlfriend. As a moral, she added, Back home, men have it easy. She was summarizing both the national and familial culture. Filipinos never marry American women. Why not? They are liberated. Your husband is a Caucasian, right? Thank God, Gina interjected with a laughter. Then, while she was looking in the direction of her child, a teenaged girl with a beautiful voice, George had heard sing at the Independence Day celebration the year before, Gina whispered, I won't let her marry a Filipino man. The woman was dead serious, George concluded. Thank you for listening to this chapter of Goodbye Philippines. Here are some questions from the author, and here are some thoughts to ponder. 1. Is payback important for you? Why or why not? 2. In general, do women feel more obligated to their parents than men? 3. If you are single, do you live with your parents in order to look after them? We'd love to hear from you. To share your thoughts and your answers to the questions, email charlesolavoie at gmail.com. Want to receive updates about future episodes of Goodbye Philippines? Don't forget to subscribe to this channel. Also, feel free to share the link to this episode with your friends and on social media. If you love Goodbye Philippines, check out www.charlesolavoie.com for info on Charles's other published works. A link is provided in the description. Until next time.